Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Peter 4, 12 through 14, and 5, 6 through 11. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad, and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you into due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves, keep alert like a roaring lion. Your your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith. For you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, in Christ will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey everyone, welcome to the seventh Sunday of Easter. Uh, it has been quite a season of resurrection, hasn't it? In the midst of a global pandemic, the biblical story of Eastertide rolls on. What new life can we see in the midst of death? And I hope these last seven or eight weeks as we've explored Eastertide, I hope you have seen new life spring out of things that look like death. Uh, My wife, Mary, and I were out for a walk this morning with our dog, and at one point she said, honey, look at how green it is. And it seemed like just like a couple of days before, it was a couple of weeks, but it seemed like a couple of days before uh, we were looking around waiting for the buds to burst out, uh, and they hadn't yet. And so I hope you have seen some resurrection. Uh, Today's scripture portion doesn't seem like resurrection, but maybe there is some hidden in there. We're going to talk about suffering today. And Peter's the author, and he wrote this letter when he was probably in his late 50s and early 60s. And so we see a very different Peter in this passage, a very different Peter who he um, he's more seasoned and he's seasoned by suffering. And so he when he talks about suffering, I think he does so 
in a way that we can listen to him. He carries some authority. There's no cliches here. Uh, he speaks truth about suffering because he has suffered and he has come out the other side with something to teach. Uh, this is not the Peter that we read about in the Gospels who, you know, at sometimes grabs Jesus and rebukes him because he disagrees with him. Other times he's chopping a guy's ear off or diving into the lake half naked to go shoot Jesus. I mean, this is a seasoned Peter and he's going to talk about suffering. And so kind of the roadmap for what we're going to do today, because I think it's important to know where we're going to go if we're going to talk about suffering, is first of all, we're going to look at the nature and the definition of suffering and where it comes from. And then we're going to look at how it is that we react to suffering when it happens to us. And then we're going to look at this interesting phrase that Peter hits in his sermon where he talks about uh, sharing Christ's sufferings. Like, what does that mean? How would we move into that and do that? And how is that a good thing? Because Peter talks about rejoicing because of that. And I never feel like rejoicing when I'm suffering. So how is that reality? And then lastly, we're going to look at how is it that God partners with us in our suffering? And what does he do in us and, and through us when we face seasons of suffering. So let's dive in. Um, how does, how do we define suffering? Um, and I want to ask that as an all play question. Uh, I'm going to give you about 45 seconds to talk on the comments and I'm sure it'll stretch beyond 45 seconds, but take some time, write your answers down to this question. How would you define suffering? Or what are some words and characteristics of suffering? Or how do you feel when you suffer? Answer any of those questions. Well, I wish, uh, I wish we could be online live together so I could read some of your answers because I bet they were just beautiful. And, um, and, but he, he, here's how I would describe or define suffering. It's a very short phrase, but I think it works. Or at least let me try it on with you. You suffer when you become aware that what you have currently is not what you want. Put it another way. You suffer when you don't have what you do want. Or when you do have what you don't want. So suffering is when you do have what you don't want or when you don't have what you do want. That's the simplest way that I can describe suffering. And I think it's important to think about suffering as a spectrum rather than as just one thing. Because when I hear people talking, and I find myself doing this too, when I talk about a certain thing that hurts, um, I tend to qualify it with something like, you know, I'm sure other people have it worse than I do, or I'm sure this is a first world problem. And that's probably true. Someone has it worse than you do. And maybe it is a first world problem. But I, I don't think it's helpful to caveat that. I think it's most helpful just to name whatever we're feeling, that which we have that we don't want or we don't have that we do want, and just name it as a kind of suffering. Maybe it's on the one end of the spectrum that's more like just annoying. Um, and it's not going to 
ruin your life and but it is it's maybe an email that stings a little bit or maybe it's um uh, a, a memorial day plan that gets rained out or maybe it's um a garden that gets destroyed by hail i mean it's a bummer but it's not probably on the other end of suffering which would be something like you know a tragic loss a cancer diagnosis um abuse i mean these are things they're both they're it's on the same spectrum of suffering but one end is much more intense than the other but i think it's important to name it that that it's all suffering when you have something you don't want or when you don't have something you do want you feel a sense of pain and loss and i think it's important just to name that now we'll get into the kind of suffering that peter's talking about here but i think it's helpful just to name suffering as broad as it is, injustice, uh, etc. So that's what suffering is. And I think it's important to ask the question, even according to the biblical witness, where does suffering come from? And I've encountered quite a bit of theology over the years that insists that all suffering comes from God because God is all, all powerful and nothing happens to you outside of the will of God. And um, I, so I, I think um, that though you might be able to find a snippet or two in the Bible that seems to suggest that, the overall emphasis on where suffering comes from, from the book of Job to this passage right here to Jesus himself, really squarely puts suffering in the hands of the Satan, the accuser that there is an evil in the world, and that evil brings suffering. Jesus said in John 10.10, which we looked at last week, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy suffering. But I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Uh, Job talks all about how, you know, and it's kind of this fanciful, um, um, almost fairy tale-like beginning um, but it's really, it's, it's, the, it's the accuser that comes after Job. And it's the accuser that takes away life from Job. And even in this passage, Peter talks about um, the, the, the Satan, the accuser, at personifying him as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So I think, I think the really, over the course of the whole biblical, biblical witness, suffering and evil comes from the Satan, the accuser, not from God. God interacts with us, we'll find that out later, in our suffering. But I think it's not a helpful thing, and I think it's even a harmful thing to name God as the originator of suffering in our lives. I think that makes it very, very hard to really trust in the goodness of God if we're also convinced that God caused the suffering in the first place. So now let's talk about our reaction to suffering. Um, how do we react when we suffer? So I'll start with something on sort of the this end of the spectrum, which would be uh, the annoying side of suffering. You do have what you don't want or you don't have what you do want. Every time I get one of those bad colds, you know, and we hate getting a bad cold, 
um, but your head is all stuffed up, you can't breathe, your nose is stuffed, you just feel lethargic, and it lasts, you know, 10 to 14 days. Um, I really feel like, oh, you know, and sometimes it happens like, right before you go away on vacation. So your whole vacation, you have this bad cold. And um, that, that I wanna say that that is, a kind, that that is a kind of suffering. But my reaction to that is like, I'm so surprised that I would get sick. I'm so uh, angered that I would get sick. I feel like it's so unfair. And so, so the question is like that Peter even poses, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's taking place to test you as though something strange were happening to us. Now, what he's talking about, the fiery ordeal, is very different than uh, getting a cold. But the fact that I would act like I should, I should be the exception to the rule, like I should never get a cold, like I should, uh, you know, I, I, should, um, I should skate above that kind of suffering says something that it says like, I feel like I'm an exception to the rule. And when it comes to the kind of suffering that Peter's talking about, which we'll get into in a, in a moment, um, it, it, he's saying, if you suffer for the sake of Christ, then you should not be surprised because Christ suffered as well. And so what does it mean to share in Christ's suffering? Let's move on to that, because I think if we say we're following Christ in this world, if we say we're the body of Christ in this world, if we say that we're trusting in Christ to bring about what Christ, Christ's kingdom on earth, if we pray that your kingdom come on heaven as it is um, on earth as it is in heaven, then we have to ask like, well, how did Christ suffer and why did Christ suffer and what does it mean to share in that suffering? So Jesus suffered because of his explicit mission. He came to bring God's kingdom here on the earth. And he did that with his miracles. He did that with his teaching. He did that with his presence. He did that with healing. But it's really all summed up in this speech he gave in the synagogue. It's found in Luke chapter 4, and I'll read it to you. So he was uh, kind of the, the, the preacher that day in the synagogue, or at least the scripture reader, and he unrolled the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he was saying like, that scripture, Isaiah 61, was talking about my mission in the world. And this is what the Lord has anointed me to do, to proclaim good news to the poor, to release the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set, let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it's been fulfilled in my presence and in my mission. That's my explicit mission. And then we read, like, there's some commentary from the people who are listening. Some are amazed. But before you know it, Jesus is being driven out of that synagogue and people try to take his life right then. So, like, what is it about that mission that caused people to want to take him out? And that eventually really did cause Jesus tremendous suffering, rejection, and then really ultimately 
he was executed by, by the state. Well, sharing Christ's sufferings is experiencing the same kind of pushback that Jesus got from any system that stands to lose power if those who are being oppressed are lifted up. So essentially, Jesus, what he was doing by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, releasing the captives, he was releasing the lockdown that the religious system had on these people. And Jesus was saying, in my presence and through me is how you get to God, not through that faulty and false religious system that is oppressing you. And that resulted in a shift of power. And whenever that happens, whenever those in power lose power, the person that initiated that, a nonviolent protester like Jesus, is going to suffer. And so essentially, Jesus is saying, um, or Peter is saying, you know, don't be too surprised if you join in the mission of Jesus in doing those things and proclaiming good news to the poor and releasing the captives from prison, in um, setting the captives free, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which is jubilee, which all the debts are canceled, you know, like let justice roll, right? Um, if you participate in those things, don't be surprised when you suffer. But when you do suffer, know that you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I mean, that's just, it's just, I think it sets the bar on suffering at a whole different level. Um, and maybe it gives that suffering that you're going through real purpose. <laughs> My heater just kicked off. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> okay, now it's off. So here's an all play question. And the all play question is this. What people in history would you say suffered, shared in Christ's sufferings because they took on Christ's mission in the world and they suffered for it. Uh, please use the Facebook comments and I'll give you about 45 seconds or so to do that and then I will return. Okay, so I'm sure you came up with many names. I can't wait to see them tomorrow. The name that I come up with, came up with is pretty obvious, but it's Martin Luther King Jr., now, we celebrate him every, every January, and he's generally seen as a hero to everyone. But I think you know that during the time that he was alive, because of his nonviolent protesting, he got a lot of pushback from other Christians that saying that it wasn't the right time, asking him to kind of stand down. And so if you want to read more about his response to that criticism, just read letters from a Birmingham jail, and you'll see how he reacts to especially white Christians who were, who were critiquing him and essentially telling him to stand down and shut up. He has a response to that. And so he suffered. He was killed at the end of the day. But before that, he also suffered from um, being heavily critiqued by other Christians. So I think he is just one example of what is it what what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ. So then lastly let's look at how does God interact with us in our suffering. So again, we don't believe God causes the suffering in the first place. And if we did, how uncreative of a God would that be that in order to bring God's glory would have to force suffering on you. 
or would, you know, like I, I can't think of any good parent that would need to teach their kids something by making them suffer. That just doesn't make any sense. So how does God interact with us in our suffering? When we suffer through the forces of evil or through our own bad choices or whatever, how does God suffer or how does God enter into that with us? Well, in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, which Freya read so beautifully earlier, we read this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that God may exalt you in due time. Cast your anxiety on God because God cares for you. And so what it, like you have to ask, like, what does it mean to humble yourself? Maybe that triggers you. Maybe that sounds weird. But really, it ha- that has nothing to do with um, making yourself look bad or feel bad or thinking of yourself poorly. It has really everything to do with placing yourself under the protection and guidance of God who can handle your life, who can raise you up at the right time, who can enable you to withstand the suffering until it's done. Because when you can put yourself under, when you can humble yourself under God's mighty hand, what that really means is you become fearless. You don't, you don't have to, um, you don't have to like be under the burden of doing something so that someone else will lift you up at the right time. When you know that God's going to lift you up at the right time, and by lift you up, we don't mean like make you rich or, or even save you from dying. It just means God will put you in the right place at the right time. That's God's business. And when you trust that God will do that in the right time, then you don't need anyone else to do it for you. Then you can be pretty free. Uh, meaning you don't you don't have to do anything to make other people approve of you, like you. You can just be as bold and beautiful and peaceful as you actually are in doing the work of Christ in the world. You can be peacefully un- unapologetic because you've placed yourself under the care and protection of God. And it says, cast your anxiety on God because God cares for you, which I think is just spectacular and really, really beautiful. Uh, And then it says, discipline yourselves and keep alert like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, support, strengthen and establish you so to him be the power forever and ever amen so when it part of what it means to have god interact with us in our suffering is god invites us to resist the accuser so when you find yourself spiraling because of suffering when your suffering causes more suffering and you're just spinning and anxiety is you're you know you're drowning in it to resist means to remember that you've placed yourself under the protection of God and God will lift you up and no one else needs to. And so you can allow yourself to be in this moment, even in the hard moment of suffering, knowing that you don't have to suffer from your suffering by letting the anxiety win. Um, That's the devil devouring you, if you want to put it that way. And we can 
um, resist him by being steadfast in our faith, knowing that others are suffering similarly. Those of us who are putting ourselves as imperfectly as we know how, or imperfectly as best we know how, on mission, on Christ's mission to release the captives, to raise up those that have been brought low. We're going to do that imperfectly. But as we do that, as we've centered ourselves in that mission, we can say, you know, we're not the only people that are suffering in this world for doing this work. Um, And the suffering won't last forever. So we don't need to get lost in the anxiety. We can resist the accuser. And when we do that, after we've suffered for a little while, verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. Restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. That's good news. That is really, really good news because in the course of doing Christ's mission in the world, from Luke 4, releasing the captives, sight to the blind, letting the press go free, guess what? Um, you're going to get broken down and you're going to feel beaten up and you're going you're gonna to suffer. You just will. So it is good news that the God who cares for us, the God who is our shepherd, the God who loves us and has called us uh, to and has adopted us into God's family, will himself, herself, restore, support, strengthen, and establish us. That is tremendous news. Amen. So folks, when you suffer when you have what you don't want, or you don't have what you do want, when you are being, in a sense, persecuted because of what you um, have committed to in terms of following Jesus, um, that will be a tough season. But God will be with us in that season. That season will not last forever. And in time, God will restore, support, strengthen, and establish us. Amen. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.